Well, we've been in a bit of a mini-series uh, this, this past three weeks. Um, and over this, these last several months, one of my jobs, once, once kind of COVID hit and our services moved online, was to figure out all the technology for being online. So that was a fantastic uh, responsibility that I had. Um, and it was really funny to me because if ever something wasn't working, let's say the computers wasn't working or the software wasn't working, the one thing that seemed to always fix it was to turn it off and then back on again. And for some magical reason, the reset button on the software and on the computer seemed to make the computer work. You know, I'd be working on our camera and I'm like, there's no image, there's no image, what's going on, what's going on? So I decided to unplug it, plug it back in, now it works. Um, we've been so blessed to not have hiccups with our live stream too much as we've been going along and I'm so grateful to our volunteers um, but that unplug and replug it back in or, or hit the reset button, that's what this mini-series has been all about. It's an opportunity for us in this season of, of kind of chaos when we look at our world, this wondering what's going to happen, uh, looking at people who are frantically improvising and figuring out new ways ahead. Uh, sometimes it's important for us to stop, to take a step back, just breathe, reset, and walk back into it. And so we've been looking at our priorities and our values here at Twilliger Community Church. And again, if you go to our website and you, there's a little button that, that talks about our heart, you can learn a lot about our church. And we have five values listed there. Uh, we have the word, the Bible. We value the Bible. Prayer is a value of ours. Uh, we view those as kind of our big umbrella values and everything else falling under that. And then Pastor Norb has been uh, teaching on the other, the other two, and I'll cover the last one today. But we've looked at uh, community as a value, the importance of us being together. Uh, we've looked at mission as a value, this idea of engaging the world around us is an important thing for us to be doing. And then this morning, I'll be wrapping up this reset, this mini-series, by talking about discipleship. Discipleship as a value. And I think discipleship is a bit of a church word. So um, if you are watching online and maybe you're new to faith or you don't know Jesus or you're just checking out church, um, we're going to be talking about what it means to follow Jesus. What is this Christian life all about? What is, what is the foundational idea behind being people who have committed themselves to Jesus? So that's what we're going to be unpacking today. Well, this summer, um, I think most of you know, my, my wife is expecting. Uh, we're due at the end of November with our second child. And maybe you had this experience in your life uh, with kids on the way. As you look around your house and you wonder if your family is going to actually fit in the current space that you own. And so we looked around our home and we're like, oh man, do we need to move? What are we going to do? Um, but if you went down the stairs in our home, you'd be um, in this unfinished basement. It's like all this space that wasn't being utilized and so we decided to finish the basement. So that was kind of my summer project. And this past week, Monday, uh, Monday evening, Tuesday morning, I set up my office, our basement office, and I got the desk set up and I got the computer going and I sat down and my feet were on brand new carpet and I'm surrounded by nice new paint. And man, that was a fantastic experience. How many of you have had a renovation at the house and when it was done, you're just like, yes. This is so good. This is so good. How many wives are nudging their husbands about finishing that renovation project, right? That process of going from this room that's essentially concrete, moving into this space where there's carpet on the floor and paint on the walls, this new, fresh experience, 
this, this new thing, this goal being realized, I, I want to suggest to us that's a bit of what discipleship is about. You know, when we consider our lives, when we look at ourselves, and we think about who we want to be, or better yet, who God has created us to be, we might see things in ourselves where we're like, you know, I'm not quite who I think God wants me to be. You know, maybe there's some areas in my life where I'm not living up to my potential. You know, I don't feel like I'm living my life very purpose-filled. You know, I see a lot of hurt and brokenness in the world, but I don't know what I can do to be a part of it. And so often we look at elements of our lives and we desire change. We want to be different. And Jesus comes to us in this unrenovated, broken state. And he says, come with me, journey with me. And as we go along with him, he moves us to this place of being transformed. Like seeing a renovation come to completion. So how do we move along in becoming who God wants us to be? Who we were made to be? Well, we follow Jesus. We engage as what the Bible calls, we engage as a disciple. So discipleship, again, is a bit of a church word. It, the word disciple specifically occurs 269 times in various forms in the New Testament. Um, and it's, so it's a familiar word. Uh, we, in our day and age, we've come to use the word Christian to refer to people who follow Jesus. But in the New Testament, the words that are primarily used, there's two of them. The first is disciple. So if you are a disciple, a disciple of Jesus. Sometimes the words used, uh, discipleship in relation to other leaders and teachers. Uh, but the second word that's used in the New Testament to refer to followers of Jesus is brothers and sisters. Um, so, so you're either a disciple or a brother or sister. Now, we use the words Christian or church. The word Christian really only occurs twice in the New Testament. One of those cases, it's a community in Antioch making fun of a group of people who follow Jesus. So there's an interesting thought. Um, and, and so in terms of language, this word Christian or this word discipleship, they're kind of interchangeable in our day and age. That wasn't the case in the Bible. But what I want to do this morning is look at this word and unpack what it meant to be a disciple in the first century. So when Jesus was walking the earth and he sees these people and he says, I want you to be my disciple, what did he mean? Did it mean I want you to come to church every Sunday? Um, I don't think so. And so I want us to unpack that a bit here. So this word disciple, when Jesus would have used it, it would have been incredibly familiar. As we read the New Testament, we understand that John the Baptist had disciples. We understand that the Pharisees had disciples. And of course, Jesus had his disciples. And discipleship was a part of the Jewish education system. You know, um, as young children, something similar to elementary school, young kids would go and they would learn um, in, in the synagogues. Um, they would learn about the Torah. And the first little step of that, it was kind of like their elementary school, was called the house of the book. And these young kids would memorize, if you can believe it, the first five books of the Bible. Genesis to Deuteronomy. I'm still flipping. Where's the end of Deuteronomy? There it is. Um, they memorized the first five books of the Bible. Can you believe that? Now, it was an oral culture, so don't beat yourself up too much for having not memorized that. But they did this as young kids. They'd learned some basic skills, a little bit of reading, a little bit of writing, uh, these types of things. And those, and at that point, when they finished that, some would go and they would join the, the family trade and they'd begin their, their careers and their life of work. But others who were kind of demonstrating the best of the best, 
the smartest of the smartest, they would go on and they would continue in their education and they would memorize the entire Old Testament. And they would begin to sit under the teaching of various rabbis and different teachers of Jesus' day. The word rabbi simply means teacher. And they would learn more about the Torah, which is uh, the first five books. And they'd study the prophets and, and, and the Psalms and wisdom literature. And they'd become experts in what we call the Old Testament. Now the best of the best of the best of them would go to a distinguished teacher or rabbi. And they would say, I want to be your disciple. Can I be your disciple? And you know, it's almost like you have kind of your, your, um, your elementary school, junior high, and then they move on to their like undergraduate and masters. And now it's like, this is like the PhD, right? It's like this next step. They would go and they would make this request. So in the New Testament, we see Jesus taking a commonly occurring phenomenon, a master with a disciple, and used it as an expression of the kind of relationship that we would have, we would develop, that he would develop with his followers. But he molds and he shapes it in a unique way. So if accepted by a rabbi, these people who want to pursue this, those who are accepted by the rabbi would now be, become their disciple and they would be expected to do four things. And I think that our discipleship with Jesus falls into these same four categories. Jesus, again, he's working in his cultural context. And I think as I've studied this, my mind has kind of been blown because there's all these nuances that I had never noticed before that tie right into this Jewish education system, these disciples to their rabbis. And so hopefully it's enlightening to you as well this morning. So the first of these four things uh, that Jesus is highlighting for us, and I'm going to use a whiteboard because it's, it's engaging, right? We all, yeah, watch me write words on a board. Uh, the first thing that is expected of a disciple is that they are to be with their teacher. If you were a disciple of somebody, you're, you were expected to be with them. So similarly, if we are disciples of Jesus, we are expected to be with Jesus. That's pretty simple. Now we read about this in the New Testament and it kind of blows our minds. In the passage that Patty read for us, we had Jesus walk up to, walk up to these brothers and say, come follow me. And they're like, okay, yep. And we read about them being with Jesus physically for three years, never leaving his side. But that was the expectation. Now again, where we get glimmers of this, if we go to Mark chapter 3, where Jesus calls the disciples, this is what we read. Mark chapter 3, 13 to 15. And he, Jesus, went up on the mountain and he called to him those whom he desired and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. He appoints them so that they might be with them. Is it possible that Mark is alluding to the Jewish education system? These disciples were called to be with them. And he might send them out to preach. So we see this at play here. Uh, later on in, in the Gospels, in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, this is the passage we looked at yesterday with our, our men. Uh, in John 15, Jesus makes the statement, I am the vine, you are the branches. And his instruction to them is, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. So Jesus is saying to his disciples there in the, the upper room that we need to be with Jesus. 
Now, I think something we can get hung up on is like, okay, being with Jesus, this is really easy if you're, if you're Peter and James and John standing on the side of the water and Jesus walks up to you and says, hey, come follow me. It's like, yeah, I can do that. You're right in front of me. I can walk with you. I, I understand that. But man, Jesus isn't physically here. How, how does this work? Well, I wonder if that feeling or that thought is similar to what the disciples felt when Jesus said, abide with me. Because when Jesus said, abide with me, that was right before he was taken away and crucified. And it was almost as if he gave them a command that they, that they actually couldn't fulfill. Except for the reality that Jesus is with us. He sends his spirit to be with us. And we see that this invitation to abide with him takes on this new meaning and this new reality as the spirit of God indwells our hearts. We can be with Jesus as his spirit is with us. Well, how is this tangible? Well, Dallas Willard has this, this great quote. We again looked at this yesterday morning. Uh, and he makes this statement that the first and most basic thing we can do is to keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Dallas Willard is huge on the spiritual disciplines. And he invites us into practices where we, we recognize and, and focus on Jesus. And I think so often in our walks with Jesus, you and I today, the issue is not whether or not God is with us or Jesus is with us. I think the issue is often whether or not we are with Jesus. You know, my wife and I um, will often be having a, a conversation where one of us is really excited about something and we're, we're explaining something to the other. But the other is just like standing there on their phone, you know, and it's like, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. And, and the other person who's trying to share this experience or this story is like, you're not even listening to me. Come on, listen to me. And, and the person on the phone is like, yeah, I, I'm listening, I'm listening. It's like, well, what did I say? It's like, um, a thing. You said something. So often, because of our phones, I'm sure some of you have had that experience, we're with someone physically, but we're not really there. We're not really with them. We're distracted. Our minds are somewhere else. When I think about being a disciple of Jesus, I am amazed at how often this is at play in my own life. Where Jesus, he's with me by the power of his spirit. He is present to me always. But I'm not necessarily present to him. But what we have to learn about being disciples of Jesus is that we need to be with him as one of our responsibilities. The second thing that was expected of a disciple was that they would learn from their teacher. So the first thing is that they'd be with their teacher. The second is that they would learn from their teacher. So we, similarly, as disciples of Jesus, we need to learn from Jesus. So we be with Jesus, and then, second of all, we learn from Jesus. We learn his teaching. We come to know what Jesus knows. And friends, knowing what Jesus knows is a powerful, powerful thing. At the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, uh, Jesus says these words. He says, everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them, he will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. That's our invitation, is to come to Jesus and learn 
from him. You know, I, um, I often talk about when I was uh, framing houses and I went through an apprenticeship uh, system program uh, in carpentry, much like the discipleship process that we're talking about. Um, and my employer, his name was Craig. And I would say that I learned to build houses in the way of Craig. He taught me how to lay out walls. He taught me how to put a roof on a house. He taught me um, all the details and the nuances that go into building a new home. And when I started with Craig, I knew very, very little. But after a few years, it came to the point where Craig would just leave. (laughs) He'd say, okay, go do this. And he'd walk away. And he knew that when he came back, most of the time, that the work would be done as if he had done it. He'd come back from being gone and he knew that the work would be done as if he had done it. Why? Because he taught me how to do it. He taught me to do it as he would have done it. And so we watch the disciples in the New Testament spend three years with Jesus, learning to do what Jesus did, learning his teaching. And do what I absolutely love. Do you know what a a term for the teaching of a rabbi was? It was called his yoke. To learn a rabbi's teaching was to learn his yoke. Well, I'm sure many of our favorite passage from the New Testament is Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus has this invitation to, his, to the people where he says, Come to me, all who, are la- all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How do you get rest? Take my yoke upon you. Learn my teaching. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So the teaching that Jesus has to bring us, the things that we have to learn from him, are not things that are too burdensome for us. But it comes from the heart of a teacher who is gentle and lowly in heart, who wants to see us become who he has created us to be. I had this funny encounter with my daughter um, in the last few weeks. And she's only two years old, and kids say the darndest things. But um, we were telling our daughter that she was going to her grandparents' house, to which she got very excited. Um, and she said, Mommy and Daddy, come. You know, are you coming with me? And we said, no, Libby, we're not coming with you. You're going to actually, you're going by yourself to Grandma and Grandpa's. And she pauses for a second, and she looks very thoughtful. She looks at Jolene, and, and she says, but I can't drive. And you're like, but what? <laughs> My little two-year-old understood that for her to get to Grandma's house, she needs to drive there. But if Mom and Dad aren't coming, this little girl so innocently is saying, I don't know how to do that. You need to help. You need to take me there. Friends, that's the invitation Jesus has to us as his disciples. That we would look at our lives and admit to him, there's things we don't know how to do. We look at our lives and say, God, parenting, I don't know how to raise these kids. God, in my marriage, I don't know how to love my spouse the way that you do. God, in, in my workplace, I don't know how to be a witness for you. I don't know how to proclaim your gospel. Lord, there's so many hurting, broken people that, that need your help that I believe your gospel has something for. I don't know how to reach them. I don't know how to help them. Jesus is saying, come to me, you who are weary and burdened. Take my teaching. Come. Learn from me. I think we have lost this. We've lost that Jesus is our teacher. When Patty read Psalm 25, I love Psalm 25 where David makes that proclamation, teach me your ways, O Lord. 
That needs to be a prayer that comes off of our lips as disciples of Jesus. And then we take the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, and we immerse ourselves in the teaching of Jesus. We learn the ways of Jesus. We learn what he said. We learn what he taught. We watch how he lived his life. So a first century disciple was expected to be with their rabbi, to learn from their rabbi. The third thing that they were expected was to eventually become like their rabbi. And so too, we as disciples are expected to become, oh man, I'm talking and writing, this is bad, become like Jesus. So as we are with him, as we learn from him, as we engage obediently in serving him, we become like him. Luke chapter 6, verse 40, Jesus alludes to this in his teaching on judgment. And he says that a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Again, an allusion to first century discipleship. Become like Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 49 Uh, Paul writing about the the mysteries and the glories of us being children of God. He says, For those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, to be like Jesus, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. We are meant to be like Jesus. This leads to an obvious question. Well, what was Jesus like? What was Jesus like? When I read the Gospels, I, I see the picture of our teacher, Jesus. And, and we, some things that we see, he was anxiety-free. He was not in a hurry. He brought healing to other people. Jesus wasn't wrecked by lust or greed. His thought life was full of God. When he was in relationship with other people who wronged him, love was the response. Love is the response rather than hate or bitterness. Friends, when I read that list, I'm like, man, I want that. To be anxiety-free, to not be caught up with the cares and the worries of the world. When I read about Jesus, I see the picture of someone I want to be like. Well, that's the invitation. As we are with him, as we learn from him, as we walk in obedience to what we're learning from Him, as the grace of our Father God meets us and the power of His Spirit changes us, we will become like Him. Lastly, first century disciples are expected to be with Jesus, expected, sorry, to be with their rabbi, they're expected to learn from their rabbi, they're expected to become like their rabbi. The last thing, they were expected to carry on their rabbi's work in the world. They were expected to carry on their rabbi's work in the world. So we, as disciples of Jesus, we need to act like Jesus. We need to do what Jesus did. We need to do what Jesus did. And what did Jesus do? I have another list for us. As we read the gospel, some of the things we see Jesus doing. He proclaimed the good news He taught the message of the Bible. I think we have a slide for this one, too. Do we have a slide for this one? Oh, no, we don't. Sorry. I'll read this for us then. Jesus proclaimed the good news. He taught the message of the Bible. He healed for, he healed and cared for the sick. He delivered those who were oppressed. 
He prayed. He was engaged in acts of social justice. He was eating and drinking with people far from God. He practiced radical hospitality. And he was fighting religious hypocrisy and speaking truth to those in power. So when we read the New Testament, we see all these things Jesus was doing. Similarly, you and I should proclaim the good news. We should teach the message of the Bible. We should heal, we should work healing and bring care to those who are sick. We should deliver the oppressed. We should pray. We should engage ourselves in acts of social justice. We should eat and drink and be friends with those who are far from God. We should fight religious hypocrisy. And we should speak truth to those in power. Jesus' greatest commission that we've coined, the Great Commission, we find in Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus says, Go therefore and, and make disciples of all nations. We do have this as a slide, right? I was going to do this by memory. I'll just <laughs> baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very ends of the age. A primary piece of Jesus' ministry was making disciples. And so he calls his disciples to go and make disciples. So if we are to say that we're disciples of Jesus, one of the evidences of that is that you and I are also making disciples. So the snapshot we get in the first four books of the New Testament, the Gospels, is that a disciple is someone who is with Jesus A disciple is someone who learns from Jesus, someone who becomes like Jesus, and someone who acts like Jesus. So hopefully you see a bit of what it means to be a disciple of of Jesus. At TCC, we can't be a disciple of Jesus for you. (laughs) Your church cannot be a disciple of Jesus for you. And I think we get lost in that with this phrase, discipleship. As if it's something the church is doing for you. No. If you are following Jesus, you are his disciple. At TCC, we see our role in your engagement as a disciple to be twofold. One is to encourage you as a disciple of Jesus, which means we provide space for us to be in a community of faith. We provide space for you to be around others who are also disciples of Jesus, to encourage one another, to love on one another. We provide space for us to worship our teacher and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We provide opportunities of prayer and hopefully opportunities for us to experience the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in worship, in times of prayer, in our hospitality. So we want to encourage you as a disciple. The second thing we want to do is equip you as a disciple. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, Paul's writing and he says that Jesus has given to the church people who are gifted and equipped and able to equip others for the work of the ministry. That Jesus has given disciples to the church to equip other disciples so that they could engage as disciples, so they can act like Jesus. And so at TCC, we want to provide opportunities and space for you to learn more about Jesus, to learn more about the Bible, to help you immerse your life in the Word of God. We see that as one of our responsibilities. And so we gather Sunday mornings around this Word. 
Uh, we've created uh, midweek Bible studies and opportunities for us to gather, to be in community, and to learn more about what it means to follow Jesus. But friends, in these things, again, TCC cannot be a disciple of Jesus for you. Your discipleship journey is on your plate. Now, a terrifying thing I want us to think about is if we're not following Jesus, who are we following? When I think about this reality of discipleship, I, and I think about how this plays out, it is obvious to me that if I'm not with Jesus, I'm with something or someone else. If I'm not learning from Jesus, I'm learning from something else. If I'm not becoming like Jesus, I'm becoming like something else. If I'm not acting like Jesus, I'm acting like someone else. We need to think about our lives. We need to think about our commitment to Jesus. We need to reset and take a step back. And ask ourselves that question. Who am I following? And as we look at our lives and maybe we see areas in our lives where, man, I'm I'm not a very good disciple to Jesus. We come before Jesus and we say, Father, I'm sorry. Help me. God, I, I desire to follow you. I desire to be obedient to you. Lead me. Call that repentance. So what are some next steps for us? Well, the first question I have for you is, is have you heard the invitation of Jesus to come and be his disciple? Have you heard that invitation? Something amazing that we see in the Gospels is that discipleship was meant to be This elite, really smart person coming to a rabbi requesting to be a disciple. Jesus takes that and he flips it. And we have Jesus coming to these ordinary tradesmen, fishers, and saying, Hey, you guys, come, follow me. We need to hear that invitation of Jesus. We need to respond to it. That Jesus is saying, Hey, hey, come. Experience the the best life that you could ever experience. Come experience life to the full. Come be my disciple. Maybe you need to take some time this week in quiet to hear that invitation. I'd encourage you, maybe this afternoon, go for a walk. You know, Jesus and his disciples walked all over the place. A great metaphor for our walk, our Our relationship with Jesus is to walk with him. That's our mission statement at TCC, to walk with Jesus. And as one foot falls in front of the other, prayerfully ask Jesus, am I following you? Lord, I want to follow you. Help me to follow you. Secondly, we need to recognize that this journey is intentional. So after we hear the invitation, we recognize that this journey is intentional. It's something I, I heard a lot growing up when we talked about discipleship or following Jesus was that uh, it, it's like climbing a mountain, a really steep mountain. And, and there's this reality that if you're not moving forward, you're probably sliding backwards. That walking with Jesus isn't something you just hit pause on and say, I'm good for a while. But we recognize that us becoming like Jesus means that we're intentionally engaged in the practices of being with and learning from Jesus. We evaluate our lives and say, 
okay, how am I going to make sure I'm with Jesus today? How am I going to keep him in my mind, in my thoughts? And how am I going to learn from him? Maybe you attend Refresh. Maybe you come to Equip. Maybe you engage in a home group. But whatever it is, we need to recognize that this is an intentional journey. Thirdly, if you're feeling like, I just, I don't know what to do. I, I, you know, I, I love this. I want to be with Jesus. I want to learn from him. But what are the next steps? We start with obedience. Friends, there's so much that Jesus has said in his word. And we begin walking with him. If we're not sure, if we're not sure of what to do, we just begin with simple obedience. Now, I am so excited. Um, next week, we're launching into our new sermon series. I think we have the graphic there, Kale. Um, our, our new sermon series going through the Sermon on the Mount. We're calling it Living the Life. And we started the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes earlier um, in this summer, uh, but we're going to be continuing on in the Sermon on the Mount with this lens of living the life. We'll go all the way to Easter. But we're going to journey together through the teachings of Jesus. One topic after the other, just drilling down on what did Jesus teach us. And in that, there are so much that we can be obedient to. There's so much that we can hear from Jesus and and realize how we're to walk out that lifestyle. So we need to hear the invitation. We need to recognize that this journey is intentional. We need to be obedient. And lastly, uh, we need to seek Jesus. We seek Jesus. Uh, This is often called spiritual disciplines. We engage in practices of prayer and Bible reading. It's so important. We talk about this all the time, but it's so important. Um, something else I'm excited for that's starting next week is Pastor Norb is going to invite all of us to, to participate together in a reading plan. Uh, Pastor Norb's been going through the McShane's, I think it's called McShane's reading plan, uh, and he wants to invite us to join him. Uh, and we're going to be starting that off next week, and um, we'll get more details on that. But if you struggle to read your Bible, I want to encourage you to consider joining us on that journey. You might not be able to read everything that we provide, uh, but maybe it's just bits and pieces here and there. But to know that you're reading with other people in the congregation, um, it's super encouraging. So that's something I'm excited about. Hopefully encourage all of us in our Bible reading. So those are just some next steps for us. And I want to leave us with uh, four questions this morning that, that maybe after church you talk about this with your family. Uh, maybe you, you write some of these down and journal through them later, but we'll just put those up on the screen. Um, so it's just four questions for us. Which of the marks of discipleship is most evident in my life and which is the least? Second question, how might you intentionally learn from Jesus in this season? Third question, what are, what are the next steps in your discipleship journey? Response, intentional engagement, obedience, or seeking Jesus. Fourth question, how might you encourage someone else in their discipleship journey this week? Just encourage you to, to take a minute with those questions. Again, maybe with your family um, over, over lunch, you can discuss those or, or get together maybe with people in your home group and go through those questions this week. But let us pray uh, together as the worship team comes up. We'll sing our final song. Father God, we thank you so much for your invitation to follow you, to take your yoke, to learn from you, 
to engage in life with you, to become like you. Lord, these are invitations that maybe we talk about so much in church that we, we lose the wonder and the power in them. But God, let that not be so among us. Father, may we be a community that is, is when people look at us, it is evident that, man, those people are following Jesus. Man, those people love Jesus. God, let that be true of us. We want to learn from you, Jesus. We want to walk with you. So Lord, as we sing this prayer, God, may it be true in our hearts that we will build our lives on you, that you are our firm foundation. God, let that be so. In Jesus' name, amen.